Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I'm talking about three childhood messages that become beliefs and can turn into triggers. This is part of a series, Things We Didn't Learn in School. So if you missed the powerful podcast episodes on this topic, go back and listen to the one with Dr. Jared Brown on emotional intelligence, Amber Stewart on emotional intelligence as well, and then she did one on polyvagal theory. So very, very important topics. And these are things we didn't learn in school. So let's talk about some of the childhood messages we received that later not only became beliefs, but also triggers. And the reason I want to talk about this as parents is if we did not learn the skills needed as children to sort out these messages and delete the ones that were not true, how can we sort them out now and how can we help our children now sort them out? Now, I want to talk about what I think the areas of childhood messages that affect us the most and personal triggers that turned into beliefs. Now, first of all, anything that has to do with your physical attributes. Here's a super simplified example, but painful just the same. I had lots of freckles when I was growing up. Kids on the playground called me freckle face in a very shaming tone. And my fragile inner child began to believe that freckles were wrong or bad. Therefore, I was wrong. I needed to be fixed. My ultra white skin needed to be darker and my freckles needed to disappear. So I tried lemon juice and later in my college years, concealer swabbed all over my face. But this podcast episode isn't about me. I'm going to be sharing these examples. I have three simple examples about myself so we can apply them to our kiddos. When our kiddos' physical attributes are made fun of, it cuts deep. Physical attributes cannot be changed. You know, we've all seen the movies about the character who undergoes a makeover to be accepted, but Is that really the message we want our kids to believe? To be accepted, you have to be someone else. Become a bit better version. Change to meet what the culture demands. That's not healthy. 
We don't want our kiddos going through life like chameleons, changing their appearance to meet whatever the standard happens to be that day. Or, even worse, internally wrestling with the idea that they are strange or weird. I have those in air quotes, by the way, for things they cannot change about their physical appearance or behaviors. And I'm using those words because strange and weird, those are the words that kids would use. Or what's wrong with me? And I know that I'm using the example of freckles and my physical attributes, but I was also very, very small. And that bothered me. I remember being in the fifth grade, not only was the I the smallest child in my class, but I was the smallest child of the fourth grade class while I was in fifth grade as well. So those sorts of things made me feel strange and weird and out of place, and those were things that I could not change. Now, neurodivergent kids struggle internally with feeling wrong already in social situations, including the classroom. It's our job as the adults to teach them coping mechanisms and how to begin to feel comfortable as possible in their own skin. This often means arranging the environment so kiddos feel safe. And I do have an article on the blog about that. I want to just stop here for a second and go over the term neurodivergent. This describes people whose brain differences affect how their brains work. That means they have different strengths and challenges from people whose brains don't have those differences. The possible differences include medical disorders, learning disabilities, and other conditions. Now, I got this super simple definition from Cleveland Clinic. I know there are a lot of other definitions out there on neurodivergent, but let's just say that these kiddos feel inside different because their brains work differently and they do have different strengths as well as challenges. That doesn't make them bad. That doesn't make them wrong. That doesn't make them strange. That doesn't make them weird. But that's how they can often feel, including myself. And I felt that way a lot growing up. And I still feel that way as an adult. So this episode isn't about how you can perfect yourself and make yourself feel like you fit in all the time. But it's recognizing those beliefs that we got from childhood messages that we are still carrying with us today and how to discern which ones of those are true. And as a parent, how do we help our kids sort those out? We need to help them to understand that, you know, you cannot change your physical attributes. That's the way that you were made and you shouldn't feel wrong or bad for them. Okay, now I'm going to go on to number two, interests and or habits. Now this one cuts really deep too. Whenever your interests or your habits are judged or made fun of, and think of your kiddos, and I'll get to that in a minute, but whenever your kiddo has an interest or a habit that they just, they want to spend all of their time studying this particular thing or listening to a certain type of music 
or playing a certain instrument or reading a kind of book. There, there are those judgments that people make or just comments that can really cut deep and can form a belief that you are wrong or there's something wrong with you. So let me share another example. When I was eight years old, my teacher sent a note home saying that I read too much and I needed to socialize more. Thankfully, my mother tore up the note and told me to ignore it. But that residue of the message remained. Good girls don't read a lot. They socialize. Social situations were difficult for me to interpret, so another layer of shame coded me. You shouldn't read and you can't socialize well because you're awkward and small and freckled. No one wants to talk to you anyway. Now, I am being... (laughs) blatantly honest with you guys right now because I wanted to use myself as an example because as parents, if we think about our past, our triggers, our belief system, it makes us more able to understand our children's triggers and beliefs and traumas. When we view it from across the room, so to speak, and we are removed from feeling empathy or sympathy or any feeling towards it, then we are more likely to brush it off. So as I use myself as an example, instead of using stories that I found on the internet or in books or using my own children who give me permission to use their stories, and I am very careful about what I do share about them, but I'm using myself on purpose today. So you listeners are going to know more about me. (laughs) I was thinking about when I wrote the notes for this episode, which started with a walk, recording the notes for this and then typing them up. And I thought, oh my goodness, I am sharing things on the podcast that I have not told some of my nearest and dearest friends. So I guess you guys are my nearest and dearest friends now because you know so much about me. And I will put myself on the altar and sacrifice myself It's going if it's going to help you understand these topics and help your kiddos. Um... We often think of interests and habits as something that shouldn't be corrected. Or we just think, well, maybe kids won't be wounded by comments about them. While pencil tapping, walking in circles, or rocking in a, no- rocking in a non-rocking chair. <laughs> that's a common one for kids. And fill in the blank, whatever. These kinds of habits can be annoying. We must look at their root. So I'm moving a little bit beyond reading, and I'm talking about the habits that kids are using as a coping mechanism, and they're sort of a stimming that will help a child regulate. So we have to look through that lens, and I will share this one because I've shared it so many times on the podcast. One, My youngest son, his one of his ways of regulating was in the kitchen to walk around the island while he talked to me over and like he would walk like a thousand times. I'm surprised there wasn't like a hole in the floor there, but it was helping him to regulate and it's a form of stimming. And I just want to take away the stigmatism 
of stimming. Let me read you a definition of stimming before we move forward and I talk about it a little bit more. Stimming or self-stimulatory behavior is repetitive or unusual body movements or noises. Stimming might include hand and finger mannerisms, for example, finger flicking, hand flapping, unusual body movements, for example, rocking back and forth while sitting or standing. And I got this definition from Raising Children Network. Now, I'm going to backtrack over that definition a little bit and where it says unusual body movements or noises, and I am going to add to that, it's not necessarily unusual for people to stim. I'm going to add a bit of my experience to this definition. In all of my years of teaching kiddos and adults, I've noticed that people who aren't on the spectrum often have their own brand of stimming when under stress. This stress may simply be due to not understanding the math lesson, what to expect on the field trip, or with adults understanding the material that we're covering in a support group or a workshop or a classroom. While we don't want our kiddos banging their heads against the wall in the Natural History Museum because they are overstimulated, that child may need to go outside. And I have an article linked in the show notes more about that. But we need to allow more grace and space for mannerisms and movement. We all need that movement. So we need to remove that judgment for children trying to move so that they can cope. They want to move so that they can regulate like walking around the counter. Now look at adults. How many adults that do you know that will go out and smoke a cigarette or have to remove themselves from a situation because it's too noisy or they need to take a walk because they're stressed? Those are all forms of stimming that are obviously more acceptable in our culture, but it shouldn't be that way. When a child is made fun of for mannerisms and movements that are needed to cope, he often internalizes the belief that he is broken. Going out in public becomes a trigger because of needing to wear noise-reducing headphones isn't socially acceptable. That's just one example. There's all kinds of other examples, and I don't know when we got this idea in our culture that we shouldn't be moving around in order to cope. Because when we don't move our body in appropriate and coping mechanism ways, then we often turn to other things that I don't want to get into. Okay. I haven't really addressed my reading habit and how it affected my beliefs and became a trigger. Let me start with saying our kiddos' interests are important to them, so they should be important to us. We adults, myself included, have been conditioned by our culture to believe that only certain interests should be accepted or approved. When I was growing up, Because I was a girl, my stepfather and others around me always emphasized math and science for girls. 
Math and science resounded in my ears for years to the point that I would do those first. Later at night, I would read under my covers as if it were something wrong. My mother certainly approved of of my voracious appetite for literature, but my belief told me it was wrong and that I shouldn't spend too much time reading. When our kiddos are judged for their special interest, it injures not only their beliefs about themselves, but their beliefs about the world around them, about family, about community. They begin to believe there is no place in this world for them. We've all seen this plot line replayed in movies and books. The young person runs away to become an actor, a singer, an artist, or fill in the blank because his parents didn't understand his interest. Judging or correcting an interest creates separation from our children instead of connection. Okay, I'm going to move on so I don't run out of time here. Number three, talents or gifts. The third situation had to do with my talent. Our kids come to us with talents and gifts. I mean, they're born with them. They're just there. And they're, they're lying dormant, waiting, waiting to be, for lack of a better word, trained or learned or learning how to manage them or manifest them. That's a pretty bad word, but you know what I mean. So one of mine was writing. I was part of the Y-teens and many other clubs. I was like... I loved clubs, but the Y teens hosted a writing competition, and the topic was what it means to be a Y teen. The entries were to be centered on community service. I wrote what I thought was a stellar piece about volunteering in food pantries, serving the needs of community, and living a life of service representing Y teens. Add to that, the piece was edited ruthlessly by my my mother, who wrote professionally for a newspaper and Catholic publications. Okay, I wouldn't be sharing this story if I won. I lost the competition. The winning essay, Being a white teen is fun, in which the word fun was used at least 20 times in the short essay. I was devastated. My mother was shocked. It was evident on her face when they read who the winner was. She had been ready. Like, I could see her. She was ready to stand and cheer for me. She was primed, like, at the edge of her seat. And instead, it was like there was another name called, and she just looked at me. And I was shocked, too. Now, let me say, the girl who won, she was a sweet girl. I love her. We got along really well. And that's not what it was about. It was about when your child, I'm going to put it in your child's shoes now. Think about your child now. When your child has put their heart and their soul into their talent and spent countless hours preparing something, whether it's for a science fair, social studies fair, or a report, book report, whatever it is. And I've seen my kids go through this too, putting their heart and soul into something. And then... Losing. And when I say losing, I'm not saying that that devastated me to the point that I didn't write again, but it did trigger 
a belief about myself that maybe I really needed to just focus on math and science and leave the writing behind. I don't want to go into blaming the judges or uh, that has nothing to do with it. It was about me personally. So remember that with your kiddos when they say, well, that person won because blah, blah, blah. They are taking it personally because it affected them personally. So help them deal with the pain and help them not form a belief that they shouldn't pursue their talent anymore because they lost one time. So, (laughs) as I mentioned before, math and science were the top goals for me, and that played in on repeat in my brain. So meanwhile, alone in my bedroom, I wrote terrible poems in composition notebooks, filling them to the brim. But when I entered high school, I enrolled in the advanced English classes. So one of those included research writing, writing research papers, and I loved it. I loved sitting in the library for hours filling out note cards, because that's what we did back then from periodicals and other sources. But again, this isn't about me. But if you look through the lens of my story, hopefully you can see your children. Are they being judged for talents or gifts that are unique to your community or your family? Is quelling their interests teaching them that they are somehow wrong and need to be fixed or that they need to fix themselves by bearing these talents? These are some things that we don't learn in school. And these beliefs about us, about our physical attributes, about our habits, about our talents or gifts, those are the kinds of things that really stick with us into adulthood and can change the trajectory of our lives. We don't want our kiddos to grow up and end up in some sort of career or life that they don't have any desire to live because then that triggers a host of other issues. Immune system disorders, anxiety, depression, and maybe you see that coming out in your kids right now and you're like, and obviously if they have trauma histories and a capital letter syndrome like FASD, ADHD, GAD, SPD, ASD. I mean, there's just a whole long list of them. If they have those, then they already have this extra bucket of anxiety and they have stressors that other people don't feel and their brains work differently than ours do. Well, not mine, but other people's neurotypical people. So they, you may be seeing them exhibiting a lot more of that anxiety because they're constantly being judged for their physical attributes, for their habits, and for their talents and gifts. So as parents, they may not be learning those in school. They may not be learning how to deal with those because I remember in school because 
I didn't always understand social cues. Whenever something was said from maybe the platform in an auditorium with the principal speaking or even in a classroom with the teacher speaking that I respected, then I just took everything literally. We all have to do this. We all have to be this. Like if somebody said, you know, you should try out, everybody should try out for the debate team. Like, oh, everybody should try out for the debate team. We should all be good at speaking in public. We should all be good at debating. We should all be, and I taught debate, so I'm not going to, but I was just using that as an example. But hopefully this is getting you thinking to look through your childhood lens, first of all, examine where your triggers and beliefs came from which are your physical attributes, which of your habits and your talents and gifts were judged and you still, you still are not walking in peace in your own skin because you have these triggers when you hear those sorts of things talked about that have formed these beliefs about you that are erroneous and now take it one step further. How can you help your child not have these same pitfalls? How can you help them when their physical appearance is judged, when their habits are judged, when their talents and gifts are judged? How can you help them separate those comments, those judgments, and literally just flush them down the toilet, so to speak, and say, you know, I don't want you to form a belief about yourself on these. You have these strengths. You have these talents. You are created the way that God created you for a reason. And you don't need to go into adulthood with these beliefs following you like they did me. I mean, be honest with your kids. I'm being honest with you guys. We And let me just finish up by saying, you know, we often talk about bullying or parents who are ultra strict or the opposite, or how Aunt Mary yelled at us for eating the fresh apples, or we were poor and we couldn't afford the popular jeans, or our parents were neatniks and we weren't, and how all of the above, I could list a bazillion, affected our current belief system. And those things are true. They do. And so does abuse, which teaches you don't matter, and neglect, which teaches you don't exist. So as much as I talk about trauma histories, this particular episode of the podcast dissects a bit more getting down to the bones and marrow of beliefs and triggers that we don't often talk about and we don't learn in school. So here's my conclusion. I'll just go over these again really quick. These are the three triggers turned to belief that I spoke of. Physical attributes. Physical attributes cannot be changed. We don't want our kiddos going through life like chameleons, changing their appearance to meet whatever the standard happens to be that day. Interests and or habits. When our kiddos are judged for their special interests, it injures not only their beliefs about themselves, but the world around them they begin to believe there is no place in this world for them. Be a champion for your child. 
stand up for them. I'm not telling you you need to go get in some other parent's face and and give them what for, but let your child know you are on their side. You are cheering for them. You want them to pursue their interests no matter what the rest of the world is doing. And third, talents or gifts. Are your kiddos being judged for their talents or gifts that are unique to your community or your family? Let's say you live in a blue-collar community and everybody works a job at this particular factory or that sort of thing, but your child is obviously an artist, a creative, a poet. So don't quell that interest. It's quelling their interest, teaching them that they are somehow wrong. That's what it's doing. And that they need to bury their talents or fix themselves. So I'm going to, I know that's, this was a lot of deep stuff. And I told you a lot of personal stuff about me. It's all going to be out there in the World Wide Web for anybody to listen to. But if this episode can help you help your children then it's worth it. And um, I want to tell you, if you are not on my email list, I'm just going to finish up with this, and you would like to receive, because oftentimes when I do a series like this, some of the people who are guests, and myself too, will have some PDFs that we've created, and I send those to my email list, because there's I can't just send them out to people I don't know want them. And if you're not sure how to join my email list, it's super simple. All you do is get on traumainformedparenting.com and you click that you want whatever free resources are available because I'm constantly changing my free resources and that will just get you the whatever the free resource is, but it will also get you on my email list. Thanks for listening to me today and I will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on traumainformedparenting.com to receive a free resource and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.